0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Vienna Guest about the myth of mutual abuse and how abusers avoid accountability by blaming others. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. Everyone with me today, we have Vienna. How are you?
1: Hi, Brandon.
0: Well, thanks for saying hi. Hi, right back to you. If you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, which Vienna was a guest on once, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. You click on that button. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form. You read all the instructions. Once you read them all, send us an email at at NarcissistApocalypse.gmail.com or just fill out our guest form and press the Submit button. And for those of you that don't know Vienna, she's been a guest on our show, I think it was December 20th, 2020. You like how I know that off the top of my head? (laughs) I do. (laughs) I know that off the top of my head. And you are the producer of this show, and you helped me a lot with uh, putting together some episodes. Uh, Our most popular episode in the last year is an episode we did together, which is the top 50 uh, verbal abuse manipulations we've done. And today we're, because of what was going on, the Johnny Depp trial, Amber Heard trial, that is now officially over, we wanted to uh, really fully address mutual abuse. So do you have anything to say about um, the Amber Heard And Johnny Depp trial that is officially finished as of today.
1: I have a lot that I want to say about it and that I could say about it. You and I have been talking about it like as it's gone on. Um, But maybe it needs to be a separate episode because there's just so much to say. But the term mutual abuse that was used early in the trial really struck a chord with me. And I've had this conversation with many people for many years and I, I honestly, I couldn't believe that it came out of their uh, couple's therapist's mouth. I couldn't believe it. So it's got a lot of people talking and, and I, you and I are going to talk about it a little bit.
0: So you asked me uh, once, do you know what mutual abuse is?
1: I did. And you started to respond and I cut you off and I said, trick question. It's not a thing.
0: (laughs) That is true. That's what you did. And, you know, when you define mutual abuse, there's really, there is no definition because when you look at both of the terms, which is domestic abuse and then the word mutual, they are in a sense a contradiction of each other.
1: They don't belong anywhere near each other in a sentence, much less to describe a relationship. So let's just start, let's just break it down, right? So let's define mutual. Mutual is defined as uh, experienced or done by both parties towards each other. So next, let's define domestic abuse. It's a pattern of behaviors in a relationship that is used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner. So if you put it together, a pattern of behavior in a relationship that is used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner that is experienced or done by each or both parties towards each other, that, that makes no sense whatsoever. You can't have a power dynamic where someone is one up on the other and yet they're mutual
0: That is, you know, when I got a hold of you uh, earlier, one of the things I said was mutual is an interesting word because when I really started looking at the term mutual, the word that's not in there is, um, you know, when when it comes to domestic abuse, domestic abuse is all about inequality and mutual is all about equality. So it's just a complete contradiction. And as you said before, these two words – should not be next to each other at all.
1: So why do you think that a clinical psychologist, uh, the one who was representing both Amber Heard and Johnny Depp as their couples therapist in the trial giving testimony, why do you think she used that? Why do you think she said that?
0: Why do I think she said that? Um. I've never thought about that in that way before, but I would say that it's just something that is commonly said, I'm going to say, and it's easier to pass it off that way than it is to really figure out what is going on and, you know... I can hark back to when you're a a child or something and you have siblings. It's easier for the parent. They don't want to know who started the fight. Mm -hmm. They just assign blame to everyone that's going on, which then can create a really interesting family dynamic for someone in that group, which I'm sure a lot of people listening might have experience in. But it's something that can really happen, I think, starting at a young age where this mutual grouping kind of takes place and it's possible that personal bias um, might take place as well. Uh, That's my possibility or things I'm throwing out there.
1: Right. I um, I think all of that is correct. I also think that just because you are a licensed clinical psychologist doesn't mean that you're good at your job. Just like it doesn't mean just because you're, you wait tables at a restaurant that you're a great waiter. And this woman looked to be a bit older to me. Um, and a lot has changed, especially concerning domestic violence in the last 40 years. And the other thing I w- wanted to point out is in her testimony, she said that during the first session that domestic violence was brought up, And at that point, as far as my understanding goes, couples therapy should not have gone on. Once there is a a dynamic of abuse in a relationship, you shouldn't be counseling people together. So all in all, I'm just going to say maybe this woman's just not a very good counselor. So the other thing about this terminology, mutual abuse, is you see it used a lot, more often so (laughs) than a clinical psychologist by abusers themselves. Abusers love this term, mutual abuse, because it displaces the blame onto the victim. And this is just this is the MO. This is this is abuse. So um, what's happening here is that abusers are using self-defense, you defending yourself against you and saying, Oh, well, you also attacked me, but it's like it, a- attacked and defending yourself are two different things. So there's something called a uh, domestic violence, self-defense. Do you know what that is?
0: Well, I do. And we've had in the history of the show a long time ago, or even recently, uh, we've used the term reactive abuse. And a lot of people do not like that term. I don't like that term, and you don't like that term either. And everything that's going on is really self-defense. So we're now going to be referencing things. Uh, sometimes I might forget because we've been I've been accustomed to using that term for so long. But you know, domestic violence self-defense occurs when the victim defends themselves defends themselves from the abuse they are experiencing. The victim may scream, toss out insults, insults, or even lash out physically at the abuser. And the reason why abusers rely on it is because abusers uh, rely on this self-defense because it is their proof that the victim is unstable or mentally ill. The abuser will hold these defensive actions against the victims indefinitely. So it could be years later and the abuser will say, well, remember back in whatever year you uh, reacted this way and acted all crazy? You're the crazy one. You need help. So sometimes abusers use these defensive reactions as an excuse to go to police or even file protective orders of their own, which becomes its whole other confusing thing for everyone involved. And it's a method of manipulation. So to manipulate is to unfairly influence a situation. When an abuser claims they are the ones being abused, they are manipulating us into believing we are at fault for the abuse. The abusers are conditioning and manipulating us to accept the blame. The longer the blame shifting goes on, the longer we will believe we are to blame for the outbursts and abuse that the abuser is dishing out we will begin to believe we are the violent and unstable ones. So the manipulation can go so far as to cause people to feel shame. So when people or victims, survivors defend themselves, it causes the abuser to claim the victim is the actual abusive one. But uh, these defensive reactions also add a second element to the mix. They cause us to feel bad about ourselves to the point of guilt and shame. So, uh, a survivor can act against what we know to be their true selves and, you know, survivors are good, they're kind, they're capable, they're loving people And that can completely go out the window when you experience the guilt and shame. And it's just more of this guilt and shame that the abusers continue to condition us to feel.
1: So why do narcissists or abusers um, always say that you are the abuser or at least that they demand you share the blame?
0: Well, this is a way for an abuser to dominate or control the other person and to deflect blame from themselves and deflecting blame. We're going to talk a lot more about that, but people who are abusive often have either a poor sense of self or a grandiose vision of themselves as being better than others. They have trouble controlling their emotions and actions. They don't want to face themselves or take responsibility for their behaviors. So blaming it on others is a way for them to avoid feelings of guilt and of looking at themselves too closely or in the mirror or or things along those lines.
1: Mm -hmm. And I I put that terminology, mutual abuse, in this category of it's just a way to... Avoid what they're doing and, and avoid looking at themselves and blaming somebody else. So, you know, now that we've established that mutual abuse is a myth, what are some other myths that abusers use to excuse their abusive behavior? We have a little list here.
0: So the first one on our list here is they were abused. So some abusers act out their dysfunctional behavior on others because it was done to them. That's what
1: they say anyways. That's
0: (laughs) the That is true, that is what they say. So in a subconscious effort to resolve their own abuse, they do the same to another person. This type of abusive behavior is identical, meaning it matches almost exactly to their childhood experience.
1: Right, but here's the deal. A lot of people were abused as children, and they don't grow up to abuse others. So if somebody says to you, well, I just do it because it's all I know, it's, um, that's just not reality. That's just an excuse.
0: And if you hear a lot on the podcast um, with the, the victim playing abusers, a lot of the time they, they'll suck you in in the initial story of the abuse that they endured when they were younger and then they'll they they plant that early as an excuse as a blame for what's going to occur
1: and and also as a way to elicit some sympathy
0: yes so that then it becomes a cognitive dissonance when these things are happening because you're thinking of the story that's being told which presents its own uh circular um cycle right Number two on our list here is because my ex did this to me. So some abusers will blame you because their ex did something and you did something that reminded them of that. So uh, someone who is genuinely mistreated in a relationship with their partner would not be using that experience to get away with hurting someone else. Consider this recognize a pattern of dysfunctional relationships as a sign that that person has problems with relating to their partners.
1: Right. It's not that they have a a problem with uh, that gender, for example. So let's just say um, uh, like a man would say, well, well, all of my past girlfriends have cheated on me. So now that's why I am possessive over you. That's not what's happening. It's a way to excuse their bad behavior. You can, you can, um, I'll speak for myself. You can come out of an abusive relationship and you don't go on to abuse the next person that you're with. You can't, if, if you logically sort it out in your mind, it makes no sense. So so uh, what's another myth? What's another thing that an abuser might say to excuse their poor behavior?
0: Um, another thing, another myth um, it, that they blame things on is, well, part of it is losing control.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, I just lose control of myself. I can't help my rage.
0: And this goes like straight into... Uh, anger issues, which is... A oh, yeah.
1: They need, they need anger management. I just need to go to anger management.
0: So why does anger management not seem to make a difference when it comes to abusers?
1: Well, because having anger issues as a way to excuse abusive behaviors is a myth.
0: Abusers do not bottle up their rage. They express it freely. They are over-emotional and they do not repress it. It is not their feelings the abuser is too distant from. It's the partner's feelings and the children's feelings. Those are the emotions that the abuser knows so little about and that they need to get in touch with.
1: That's really well said.
0: And, you know, when you think about control or you think about anger and, and, and these types of blame, um, you know, I'm a codependent person. And sometimes my codependency, a lot of the things that I do comes from fear. And people with these traits also have a lot of codependency. And uh, so they do a lot of things that are fear-based. And that's another way of uh, blame. And some of those things can be fear of intimacy, fear of of abandonment. Um, Do you have any thoughts about this?
1: Well, yeah. I think that actually... (laughs) Using uh, as an excuse for bad behavior that I fear intimacy or I fear abandonment, that's not, again, something that excuses your behavior. It's, it's just another excuse. So like, for example, um, abusers are often jealous and possessive and their coercive and destructive behaviors can escalate when their partners attempt to break up with them right? This is when it's the most dangerous time to leave an abusive relationship. Uh, Some psychologists have glanced quickly at this pattern and concluded that abusers do have an extreme fear of abandonment. But, you know, many people have a fear of abandonment, both male and female. We're all kind of afraid of being alone. That's, That's, I think that's a human quality. And it doesn't make the rest of us panic. Um yeah, we we're heartbroken, and there's desperation from being left by someone. But if everyone panicked and were reactionary and started abusing people because of it, we would have um a war zone around us constantly <laughs> it, It's not an excuse for abuse.
0: And another thing when it comes to abusers are you know they they are bad communicators.
1: That's what they say. That's what they love to say. I just don't know how to communicate. You you're just you just have um a bigger vocabulary than me. I don't know how to communicate my emotions.
0: And another excuse that we hear a lot of on the podcast is using a mental health issue as the blame for things.
1: Right. And, and there, there's a, there is a distinction, by the way, between mental illness and mental disorder. So a personality disorder, narcissism, borderline personality disorder, et cetera, those are not mental illnesses. Those are not uh, something that there's medication for. Those are flaws within the personality. It's not flaws within the brain. It's not neuro, is what I'm saying.
0: They are learned behaviors.
1: Right. Uh, Mental illness doesn't cause abusiveness. First of all, many studies have been done with violent criminals that suggest the vast majority are not mentally ill. In the case that someone does suffer from a mental illness and is also abusive, what happens is rather that the person's psychiatric problem interacts with their abusiveness and that forms this volatile concoction. Uh, A mentally ill abuser has two separate issues, though, just like an alcoholic or a drug-addicted one does. If somebody is an alcoholic and they're also abusive, those two things are disconnected from each other. doesn't mean that they wouldn't be abusive if they didn't drink, and it doesn't mean that they can drink and not be abusive. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's a good segue into, um, well, I'm an addict, or I'm an alcoholic, so I can't really be held responsible for what I do when I'm under the influence. Or, um, uh, yeah, I don't remember because I was I was drunk. Or even that I grew up with an addict, right? These are all excuses that abusive people use and and they hide under the cover of this. The most important point to be aware of is this. Alcohol cannot create an abuser and sobriety cannot cure one. The only way a person can overcome their abusiveness is by dealing with their abusiveness. And by the way, also, despite what you might hear, you know, Codependency is for sure 100% a thing, but you are not enabling your partner to mistreat you. They are totally entirely responsible for their own actions.
0: And now that we've discussed the reasons why or, 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 or some of the reasons why they blame and how it's used, uh, let's next go to the real reasons they are abusive. Mm-hmm. And the first one we have up on our list is they have control issues. Right. So when an abuser might be losing control of some aspect of their life or have no control at things like work or et cetera, they might blame you for things because it's the only control they have. Home may be the only place they can get that control if they are losing it in other places. If they start losing control at home, more blame amongst other tactics will be applied.
1: Here's the problem with this: uh, I, I just, I just can't control it. Thing, and then also saying or, or thinking to themselves, "I have no control. I need control. I need to gain this control somewhere because I don't have it in these other places." The problem is, is that you can't control. Things outside of yourself. You can only control yourself. And they flipped it for some reason, thinking that they have to control everybody else, and then they'll be fine.
0: And other aspects of control are you know growing up in an environment. It could be a religious environment, it could be the home environment where they have been told possibly that. Men have the right to be in charge of relationships. You know, it's, that's part of the upbringing. So that part of control can be brought into things. And then the other part of control is uh, misogyny as a whole and society. And, uh, you know, it is a reality that women are, uh, far more abused than than men are. Yes, men are abused, but misogyny plays a, a big role here as far as control goes, as far as power goes, and the dynamics that go on within uh, the relationship. And we're going to talk about, I guess, some offshoots as well here of control. So up next, another big part of why or the real reasons why someone is abusive is entitlement. And entitlement refers to a belief that one's importance, superiority, or uniqueness should result in getting special treatment and receiving more resources than others. For example, individuals who are, let's say, we'll use a narcissistic personality as an example as well. Individuals who are high in in narcissistic entitlement think that they should get more respect, more money, and more credit for doing the same work as everyone else. This entitlement also includes a willingness to demand this special treatment or extra resources. This entitlement contains three components. And at the root of this entitlement, individuals believe that they are uniquely superior They believe that they are different from others in ways that make them superior. And then individuals with these high levels of entitlement feel that they are more deserving of special treatment and limited resources by virtue of their superiority and uniqueness. And finally, they are likely to demand the special treatment and resources to which they believe they are entitled maybe in the form of verbal statements, but they can also be uh, aggressive and even in violent behavior. Special treatment can include a wide range of things, but in general refers to an expectation of treatment that is unique and usually better from how others are treated. Yeah. So
1: this is, this is what happens a lot. It's, um, uh, well you deserve to get hit because you're treating me poorly or, um sure you don't hit me back that doesn't make you not abusive but i don't deserve as as bad of treatment as i give to you they're they're always placing placing things on a hierarchy system where it's it's always uh, some more better more extra Which
0: which goes back to the beginning of mutual abuse in that term. And the entitlement right there shows the inequality of what's going on and how mutual abuse is a myth. Right. So up next, we have validation. And again, for this one, we'll use an example of uh, narcissistic abuse as well.
1: Yeah, another core trait of abusers is their constant need for attention. Even just by following you around the house or asking you to find things or constantly saying something to grab your attention. It's validation for a narcissist counts only if it comes from other people. They can't give that to themselves because they're disconnected from themselves. Even then, it doesn't count for much. A narcissist's need for validation is is like a funnel. You pour in positive, supportive words, and they just flow out the other end, and then they're gone. They they have no way to contain it. So no matter how much you tell someone, you love them or admire them or approve of them or think they're cool or hot or sexy or whatever, it never feels like enough. Uh, deep, it, And it's really because deep down, they don't believe that they're lovable. And like, oh, that's really sad, but, <laughs> you know, it's really, you can't do anything about it. So despite all of their self-absorbed, grandiose bragging, narcissists are actually very insecure and fearful of not measuring up. They constantly try to elicit praise and approval from others to shore up their fragile egos. But no matter how much it's given, they're going to want more.
0: It's like a natural-born inferiority complex in a way. And that injury runs them.
1: Right, and it manifests in in the opposite way where on the inside, they feel totally inferior, but they're cut off from that emotion by pretending like they are totally superior.
0: And up next is lack of empathy.
1: It's easier to abuse others when there's no empathy Or how the victim might feel. So not possessing empathy is a reason for abusive behavior. However, it doesn't excuse the abusive behavior. Because you can learn certain types of empathy. You can um, cognitively understand that these behaviors cause other people to hurt, to feel bad. Just because you're not able to step into that person's shoes and, and understand what it might, quote unquote, feel like to be abused doesn't mean that you're going to be an abuser.
0: So an abusive person may have some uh, or all of these qualities depending on the circumstances. But just remember, this is not about justifying their behavior. This is about helping victims to understand why a person might be abusive.
1: Right. And, and to understand when they're trying to um, excuse their abusiveness by blaming it on something else.
0: So, you know, when we decided to do this episode because of what's been happening the last six weeks with the trial, and also I thought a lot about the uh, Gabby Petito case uh, from last year, which I hope people haven 't forgotten about um, you know a a big part of a problem for people was um, you know how when when and, and it 's also with the stories that the people tell me you know when when a police officer shows up and There's been self-defense going on. How can you help the police identify the aggressor? And I thought that was uh, a really good thing to try and help with and point out. And also for people who are listening, you know, doing the things we're about to say is not always possible for people. Um, You know, there's a from the trial, and and, you know, lawyers are doing their jobs and, and. you know, because it's their job of, of what they're doing, that sometimes, uh, certain misconceptions, uh, can happen about how abusers act and, and things like that. And we might do an episode about that, but I just want to say that, you know, not everyone is going to be able to do these things depending on, on their circumstances, because they just aren't free. They don't, their, their control in their life has been taken away to do things without having a microscope on them all the time. So you know it's the responsibility of law enforcement and not the responsibility of, of a survivor to properly evaluate a domestic violence situation but not all police officers are trained in assessing aggression and overall we can all agree that in general there needs to be better training of police officer and police officers but again that's another podcast so it is
1: another podcast but it's also really important important to point out that The Family Violence Prevention Act, which I think uh, was enacted in the late 90s, um, specifically sets these standards for all law enforcement. So by now, truly, all law enforcement should be trained in this, whether they, I don't know, weren't paying attention that day or not. I don't know. But the Family Violence Prevention Act does state that law enforcement officers um, should be responding appropriately to domestic violence incidents. And it discourages dual arrests of people involved in incidents of domestic abuse. And it, and it encourages law enforcement officers to analyze each incident to determine whether a particular party is the predominant aggressor. And and the predominant aggressor is defined in the act as uh, the most significant rather than the first aggressor at the scene of competing <coughs> claims of domestic violence, right? So this language establishes an awareness that they're uh, in, in a domestic violence situation that mutual abuse is not possible. It's not an option.
0: First on our list, we have, you have the right to speak, to voice your concern, and to do it as coherently as possible and if you can't or if you feel that you weren't able to do it as coherently as possible on the day that it happens um that you can the next day or the day after call the police officer who was the one that showed up to the scene and explain things uh, to them, and you can say something like, I was upset at the time, but I've had some clarifications, and I like to add this to my report. Uh, you know, because so, some of the officers will see you as untrustworthy uh, at the initial call because of maybe dysregulated or scattered behavior. So contacting them after is important, and uh, you know, also during that first uh, response to. Uh, While this is going on, just to remember to breathe or do grounding techniques as well. So you can at least try and be centered uh, while this is all going on in in, in a time when everything is so dysregulated.
1: Right. And also very important is simply comply. Do what they say. If they want your ID, don't scoff and, and say like, I don't know where it is right now. You know, just comply and that'll get you very far.
0: And next on our list, we have, so if, if, if a police officer shows up and you have a documented history of your, of your abuse, uh, written notes or photos, share them with the police on that day.
1: Right, and that's difficult if, if your abuser's standing over you, obviously. Well, well
0: that's why I said uh, earlier that like, not everyone is able to uh, do these things due to the control of what is going on.
1: Right. And it's totally reasonable because of that, that you would call the next day or a day later and ask if you can add to your report.
0: Correct. Uh, Third, uh, choose your words carefully. So people tend to frame what happened in normal terms. So for example, we had a fight instead of saying I was punched or strangled. Uh, when saying we had a fight, it doesn't place ownership where it belongs. And once again, this can fall into if you're, it's a situation where you're being controlled or they're uh, like, they're present in the situation and you don't want to divulge that information. Uh, once again, you can then uh, possibly make a call after to the police when you do have private time to explain that uh, better as well.
1: Right. And the whole reason. Uh, people use this um, inclusive terminology like we had a fight is very simply because they are abused. They have been um, blamed and trained in this way to take responsibility off of the abuser and to hold part of it for themselves. You know what it really comes from? I've seen this so many times in, in, in these online forums where Inevitably, you are interacting with the perpetrator who's playing the victim, and this, this one phrase comes up over and over and over, and it's, relationships are 50-50, which is like, first of all, you're wrong. Relationships are 100-100. <laughs> uh, but second of all, just because you say relationships are 50-50 doesn't mean that I have to take 50% responsibility for your 100% bullshit, right? This is such a, um, uh, an abusive mentality.
0: And up next, which relates to the last one, is you know, when the police officer arrives, language is, is a big thing. So using the words defending yourself. Uh, in a situation in the situation it to me is really important so saying that you're defending yourself from emotional sexual or physical abuse when you point out that you are not the initiator or the primary aggressor to me that's really important especially you know today we're discussing mutual abuse that this is something that we have to point out that uh, you are the one that is on the inequality end.
1: You are allowed to defend yourself. We have laws in this country. I realize that you and I are not in the same country. Actually, we are because we're on vacation. But we have laws like standard ground. We have, um, we have uh, you know, you go to trial. I, I claim self-defense. You are allowed to defend yourself. What gets you into trouble is if you lie. If you say, I didn't, I didn't uh, hit them back. That's going to get you into trouble saying, yes, I was defending myself and I was trying to get them off of me is is a much better route than trying to wiggle your way out of it.
0: I forgot that you had the stand your ground law here. That's right. I completely forgot about that.
1: Yeah, you can stand your ground if an intruder is trying to come into your house. But for some reason, it's ridiculous for you to stand your ground against your abuser yeah a little backwards
0: it's all backwards and last on our list is to put your relationship in a broader context for the officer that arrives on this on the scene so to explain what happened before the police arrived and what it's like to live in your environment tell them um That your abuser is controlling, jealous, suicidal, things like that. But again, as we harked on earlier, this isn't possible for everyone. It might be too dangerous to do this as well. But if you think that it is safe to do this, then by all means do it. But if you think it is unsafe, do not do it at this time. And I would wait for the next day to then make the phone call to the officer. Right. Make sense? Yep. So... Uh, before we go today, do you have anything else you want to say about the subject that we've talked about today?
1: The the fake subject of mutual use. It, <laughs> it, it, it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around. Um, it's an oxymoron, you know. It's. Um, I want. I wanted to. My my initial reaction to the term mutual abuse and this is before the trial is that it is a construct that was created by manipulators it's a con- it's a, it's a fallacy it's something that somebody came up with to excuse themselves for whatever they were doing and when i heard somebody use it in a way where they weren't defending themselves i was shocked i was like what just happened here? <laughs> but you know, I think um, despite that, it, it's like just it's like the trial. So many things happened over a month. Oh my god, it was so long. But this one little phrase was zoomed in on by so many people, and I I, I think that that's one of the more divisive things that have come out of it. You know, there's a lot of people who say. Oh, Amber Heard's giving women such a bad name saying, you know, she's making us all look like we're liars. So, oh, we all hate Amber Heard. And then you have the other side of it who's saying, well, of course she wouldn't um, call the police. It, you know, it's like, you don't always call the police and it's just this, this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But My mind went straight to that term. And it's, it, that's the thing that I think was the most destructive thing to come out of this.
0: So before we end off the show, do you have any last words for everyone?
1: Sure. Just remember, an abusive mindset stems from a fractured value system. There is no blame outside of that person and that value system.
0: Well, Vienna, I really want to thank you for being here helping me today everyone uh if it wasn't for vienna this episode would not have occurred in any sort of way you did all of the work in in putting all of this together so really a big thank you and for those uh listening you know i do the show but vienna is a huge help to me all the time and uh, i always can't thank her enough and i have to repay her again today so oh, and
1: also everybody wish Brandon. A uh, a lucky time in Las Vegas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Even though I'm not gambling, I'm having uh, a nice, quiet, relaxing uh, time and I'm near the mountains. And uh, thank you. So if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please email me at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com but before you do that actually i was ahead of myself there please do go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com and there you will find a button that says guest form at the top of the page you click on that and you'll see all of our instructions and then you can send me that email or you can fill out our guest form and press the submit button and as well as our at our website we have our very own safe social network so at, On our network there, we have a forum board where you can post and people respond. Uh, You can get all the help you need there. And then we also have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. And we also have ad-free episodes. We have episodes that have never made it to air. And it's just a really good group of people on there, so please do join our support group. And if you just want to support our show, please do join our support group because at every dollar counts, everything helps. So thank you so much. And, you know, if you need even more support, everyone, please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, you can find articles and resources. You can find uh, numbers and locations to shelters that can help you as well. It's a great great place our friends at domestic shelters.org it's all free so please do go visit them and that is it for our show today so for myself and from Vienna as well we hope you have a good night